it's it's really important that you educate yourself if you're going to do this full time. Now, if you're doing this for some fun and kicks, right? That's not a big deal, and you lose five hundred bucks, and that's the last experience with the market. That's fine too, right?、Um, you know, I don't want to be one of those preachy old guys, right? But、yeah. if you're doing this, if you're trading now, your audience are traders. You know, trading is a skill; it's developed over time. And if you learn the business that makes the chart move,、uh, your life is going to be a lot easier.、Um, now, there are people who trade just candle charts based on support and resistance or whatever, and that's great. And if you are disciplined and you use stops, you know you can be profitable that way too. But if you have a little bit of knowledge about how the system works,、uh, it'll really help you from trading at the wrong time, that sort of thing. You're listening to the Steady Trade podcast, a podcast that inspires traders to make meaningful strides and pursue their passions. Your hosts are Tim Bowen, the lead trainer at Stocks to Trade Pro, Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street coach, and Stephen Johnson, the up-and-coming trader who's always willing to learn. Together, we'll sit down with experts to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned. And discuss how all traders can level up their trading careers. Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast, boy! Are we excited to have JJ Gorilla from Confessions of a Market Maker with us again today? Thank you, JJ, for coming back so quickly after our last twenty-four thousand. Uh, viewed episode with you, one of our highest viewed episode of all time. So thank you, JJ. So happy to have you back. I'm Kim Ann Curtin. This is Stephen Johnson. We're here with the Steady Trade Podcast, giving you guys information that you need to have, that you need to know. And JJ is educating all of us in one fell swoop. So thanks for coming back. Ah,、oh, my pleasure. It's great. You guys,、uh, I really enjoyed being with you guys last time. And, and JJ, how insane! Like obviously the interview was insane, but how insane has the market been since you last came on? Man, you know what? As an old guy, I've been waiting for something to shake this system up, right?、Uh, and agree or not agree with what these kids have done, they、mm-hmm. shook this thing and broke it, and I'm really happy they did because I think retail traders are completely underserved by the technology in Wall Street. And things like not being able to sell your stock—that's criminal. That's like working、mm-hmm. in a Sopranos mobster boiler room, right?、Uh, people, you can't do that to people. You spend some money on from infrastructure,、yeah. you guys. You're making billions every year, right? And so you, you're not raping your your retail clients, right? I think it's great. I, I think this is an amazing time.、Uh, I love it when finance goes through historical periods. It's this is crazy and it's fun. And you know, it's interesting you said. You said break. Like, do you feel you know? There's some people who are like, "Oh, it'll all come down in a couple of weeks," but no, I don't think so. No, do you think no, so? No, no, no. The clearing system is is built to withstand stresses of capital that are insanely huge. Right. <laughs> this did cause a problem. Right. Yeah.、Uh, this did cause a problem in clearing and settlement because these people, <laughs> what what they do is. The thing is, what I used to do by shorting a stock for a client, holding it down so they could finance the company, they still do that now, right? They realize that all these CEOs, they're not choir boys, right? So、mm. even though the hedge funds are pretty bad, the people who take your investor money and run companies, 
let's just say they're not hurting, okay? They use investor funds for, let's not forget, what's his name, Bernard Ebers and the $6,000 shower curtain, right? They're taking investor money and they're basically wiping their butts with it. And they're not being fiscally responsible. So hedge funds short their stock in order to get a good price because they know the CEO is going to blow all the money, right? When they give him money, yeah. right? So that's what happened. And then these hedge funds probably got caught because I saw Jeffries did some sort of an offering on this thing right around uh, December 5th. There was wow. something filed for about $100 million worth of paper. So they were pre-short that financing, which meant that's why they had short interest because these guys aren't going to short naked. They're going to short when they have supply. So the only reason you short a stock with size is because you know that you've got supply coming, right? And you have the sophistication and the funds to hold that short. This time, for some reason, somebody got a hold of this stock, right? Mm -hmm. And lit the fuse and all hell broke loose. And these guys got caught with their pants down in a clearing firm debacle, right? And, um, it's just, um, it's just the only thing I worry about is somebody is selling into all this buying because the stock's trading at 106. If there really was that big of a short position, we'd be a thousand dollars bid right now. Somebody is pushing stock from a long position into this. And Hmm. it's what I don't like about that is, um, you know, why doesn't the company come out and show us their DTC sheets and their dead file from the transfer agent if there has been such a transgression? I don't see anything like that coming from the company. And when you said company, who do you mean? Uh, GameStop. Hmm. Right. If they're, if they were truly being taken to cl- the cleaners by naked shorts, they would show their DTC sheets, which show the securities position in the depository trust where all the banks show their position. And they would also show the dead file from their transfer agent, which shows every stock certificate ever issued to every shareholder. And it would show exactly where everything is. And it's the ultimate disclosure. And of course, public companies don't disclose any of this. But, but can't, can't GMA uh, just do the, like why hasn't GMA just done the massive, the biggest, 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 um, like 4215B, 4245B exactly. or the shelf. Why haven't they done the biggest funding ever and made the made the company a digital platform? Like I don't get why they haven't done that with that price. I don't I don't get it either. I think somebody's selling stock and I think they're gonna walk away from this thing. And uh, You mean someone from GME with a ton of stock is just selling it, getting there, rich and got away? Be. There's gotta be. There's no way that you could put that much buying. This thing traded eight billion dollars like water every day but i mean the there's no way that, no it doesn't matter what the float is if you put in listen i've i i get paid 200 grand a month to do short squeezes <laughs> right so i kind of know what i'm doing i'm the mechanic right if you put the kind of buying into this stock that they've put into it and there was nobody selling it we would be a thousand dollars bid right the the mechanics of this see The whole thing about Wall Street is CEOs and people who are company insiders, right, who are total greed heads, right? Let me just put that out there, right? They never, ever admit they're selling. They always blame the short sellers, right? And if they're lucky, they get people to believe their story and take up their cause and bum rush the stock like what happened. But these people are getting filled at $400 a share and it's 108 bid, right? There's something fishy here. Uh, so, so you, you think that maybe a lot of people in Jamie are, are are buying the stock up and then 
buying it early and then selling selling it when it's or had it or had or they had a bunch of it and they've just so they're almost involved in this from the beginning or something like that you know here's the thing okay 20 years ago what my job was i was a i fed orders to market makers but my job was say you kim and tim take a company public my job was to create the market for you to sell that stock into so you guys each had 50 million shares 150 million shares my job is to take the stock from a dollar to five dollars and then you guys can liquidate into the buying right get an average of 10 cents 20 cents on 150 million shares it's a good three weeks work so i create liquidity so you know the thing is you cannot depress the price of the stock with the rules that they have in place with the kind of buying that they've put into this right there is no there is not a breadbasket in the world big enough to hide that short position yeah so you know we know why the short got started right because yeah. the hedge funds were lazy and greedy right uh, the company you know should have done an offering had this been legit somebody this is a company in bankruptcy and this was the perfect way for them to exit yeah right so i just think i i don't like it when people get screwed over because you know they make them think oh we're getting taken advantage of they come running to the rescue and i mean they're getting filled every day like this thing is down from what what was the high on this 400 uh, almost 500 dollars a share 10 i thought it was hot you know 510 like yeah kind of be a question that they're not getting the right price or something like that or people don't want to people don't want to to invest in them even though the stock price is so high because they just know that it's bankrupt Oh. Yeah, that's 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 definitely that's common sense, right? Kind of Why not raise? Buy? Is it that they yeah. can't raise? Is that what it might be? Uh, well, I just saw. Well, I mean, they just did a they they. If you look at their last SEC filing, they put something out. It was Jeffries was trying to raise them a hundred million bucks, right, or something like that. So they were doing that? that in December. Pardon me. Oh, that was December. That was in December. Right? That was in December, right before this all happened. So, I'm wondering whether or not. That financing, I haven't really read the filings, but I, and I know that these public companies issue shares for debt, right? That share uh, debt that that's convertible into stock. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and um, and what they do is they, you know, they're floorless sometimes or they're reset uh, based on VWAP and things like that. 14 day VWAP. So, yeah. you know, somebody got stock at a really, really cheap price and they're blowing it off into $500 volume. Yeah. Um, there's there's something fishy going on here and it's more than just the hedge funds. Um, and listen, I've been doing this so long. I know the people on the other side who actually take the thing public and create the product. Um, I mean, as soon as you give a CEO a big chunk of money, it's gone. They're not in this day and age, people who run companies are not fiscally responsible, right? Uh, you know, it's not like the old days at Bear Stern where Ace Greenberg was counting paper clips. Right. These people spend money like it's like poop going through a goose. Right. So they're always raising money and diluting the capital of the shareholders. But would you not argue that with people like you who can create the maybe not create the story? I'm not trying, but create the story, create the liquidity, increase the demand and just print a bunch of money. Would you not argue that CEOs have CEOs got like that because of this system? Yeah, it it has the system. Mm. You know, the, the thing is, people who finance these companies take a risk, right? 
So they need to have a reward. And the, the IPO is the exit strategy for someone who invests in a company, right? They're yeah. exiting into the retail flow. But the what, what has happened is because interest rates are low and people run things loosey-goosey, you got what, Uber losing $4 billion a year, mm-hmm. right? They yeah. take that public and unload it onto shareholders. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with people making money trading this. If you bought this GME at 10 bucks and sold it at 500, I applaud you, right? I, I'm not one of those old guys who, who gets mad when young people make money. I think that's when you're supposed to have money is when you're young. What the hell good is $70 million when you got a walker, right? <laughs> let, them, let them party, let them have fun. I think that's great. I just, you know, when my spider sense starts tingling, man, like I look at this thing and I, there is something really fishy about this company. Walk, walk us through, JJ, when, when this was all going down just, you know, a week ago. Walk us through what you were thinking as you were seeing it, inclusive of Robin Hood and right. what was happening, you know, on Wall Street bets. See, uh, what I was thinking was I came up with a plan 20 years ago to bring liquidity into companies. And uh, usually we started with direct mail, then email and blah, 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 to like get investors in right? To, to bring in the buying, right? So my job was always to bring in buying. And I always would say, listen, if we could get 5 million people to buy 100 shares of stock at a buck, and you're selling it, do the math. Can, can I, right? So- that, and that's exactly what happened. We had all these people coming in, taking small positions, and it created the liquidity event of the century. But is that what you're doing? So like, say, for example, I had a company that was just like Stevens, Newcastle, UK whiskey, yep. and I was about mm-hmm. to go public and I hired you. Yep. So what's the process that we would follow that? What's your, oh, what would be okay. your role? Oh, okay. Well, nowadays they use something called a SPAC, right? Yeah. Which is just a fancy shell, right? So I, if you came to me, I'd go to my buddy, the golden bear, and I'd say, listen, Dougie, I need a shell. Right now, if you had money and people willing to put up money, we would buy the shell for cash. If you didn't, we'd do it for equity and Dougie would still keep some paper. Right. So we do a reverse merger by filing an 8K. We'll we'll, we'll incorporate you in Nevada. Right. And then take that Nevada company and reverse merge it into the shell. Right. Then we take a market maker and have him file a 15C211 to represent the stock. Right. And uh, that's if you are a brand new listing, if you have a shell, I'll get one of my boys, I'll put all my market makers in the stock. So every market maker in that stock is controlled by me. Right. Then what we have to do is we got to dress up your company. So now we sit down and we write out 10 news releases. So that's hiring like an investor relations firm or are you sitting well, there? Well, investor relations or? firms, the <laughs> investor relations firms are phone chips, right? We call them phone chips. They don't really, they're, they're there for window dressing, but you need somebody to move the paper, right? You need salesmen out there yeah, getting yeah, yeah. people to buy the stock, right? Glengarry, Glen Ross, you need the Glengarry leads, right? So what we need to do is in the old days, we'd hire a phone room, right? And we'd get like a boiler room on the stock give them a 30% chop, right? So every share they sell, they get, uh, you know, a third of a share offshore, right? So you pay these guys. There's a, there's a, there's a huge trading room that's out of, out of the middle of North, of North America that was started by a stock promoter because they, he built this trading room to teach people how to trade, but they're just buying his deals from offshore. So 
you create the liquidity and what the internet has done and what Twitter and all the social media has done has allowed people to create liquidity without spending any money. Yeah. Right. And that's what I'm afraid of because I look at the way this stock Mm. trades and it's not trading the way it's supposed to trade. Right. There's something very kinky about the way this stock trades and it's not kinky because the funds are short. It's kinky because somebody is selling into the buying. Yeah, no, it should have gone higher. Basically, what you're saying is based on the volume, it should have it, gone it, higher. This thing should be a thousand dollars bid. Yeah. yeah, right. Look at the volume. Somebody's puking yeah. paper into this thing, and they're taking advantage of people who think that the company's hard done by, right? And but the company's what? Hard done by, right? Mm-hmm. That the company's a victim. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, but pull the CEO out of his. How? Like, let's see how the CEO lives. If the CEO is living in a one-bedroom apartment taking the subway to work, right? Mm. On a very tight salary, maybe. Yeah. The guy's yeah. driving a brand new S class living in a five thousand square foot house. Yeah. I mean how how amazing would it be if someone like if someone, someone like you, thought spoke to GameStop and said, I've got the best idea for you ever. Let's create this story where some people on Reddit in Robin Hood made this plan that yeah. that effed up the hedge funds. Meanwhile, while everyone's talking about that, we're going to sell and sell and sell and sell yeah. everything. That's, yeah. that's talk about, what talk about a deflect, a major, right? but, major but, deflect. But see, the thing is, the people on in, in my industry are just exactly that evil. I uh, love right. it. First. I love it. Okay. You know, sign, it's, sign me up. It's, you know, wow. it's just, <laughs> it is, these, these people, I mean... Listen, I had a guy who made $7 million in a week and he screwed the guy who painted his fence out of 1500 bucks, oh. right? They're just, they're, they're, you know, listen, I was wow. a bouncer in a nightclub. I've dealt with Hells Angels, Russian Mafia, all of these people, and they have more scruples than stock promoters. Oh my God. Okay? <laughs> right? So what's the it's- likelihood of Steven's scenario? What he just said about this is almost a distraction with Wall Street bets and the hedge funds. What's the chances that that is actually the real story? Um, it's unfortunately pretty good. Wow, that is right? crazy. Because you know what? When when you see eight billion dollars going across the tape, that doesn't happen. Like that's just not a spontaneous event. Is anybody right. talking about this, JJ? Has no, anybody talked about this side no, of it? No, no, nobody, nobody talks about this because it sounds like tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. But because I used to trade for these people who did this, and they would hire me to set up the structures and set the yeah. traps and do all that sort of thing. That's why I know. And I saw this and I was like, oh, God, they did it. But they did it really, really big. <laughs> and what I'm scared about... And honestly, I swear yeah. to God, because I, I had a crew of young guys that I trained right after 9-11. And um, I trained them and I taught them everything I knew. And they went out into the OTC markets like a virus. Mm-hmm. And it was like I created freaking COVID. And these guys, they stole about $6 billion, Right. They did about 10, 12 deals. These deals would trade $300 million in dollar volume in a week on an OTCBB stock, right? And they t- 
took all that money and disappeared. Nobody could find out who they were. And I know it was them because all I have to do is look at the level two and how they're trading. And it's like, Jesus Christ, I taught them how to do that. Right. And you just cringe. And what I'm afraid of is that those guys were involved in this. Right. It's just because I see certain things and I see the, because they, what their favorite thing was, is to create a huge scene somewhere and then while everybody was focusing on the scene and the drama, they had their hand in everyone's pocket. That's the, that's the ultimate con, right? The, the con game is all about creating you a know, distraction over here and then yeah. doing, doing this you know, quickly on the side where everybody's focused now, on that traffic accident. Now, I really hope I'm wrong. And I hope these guys are, you know, uh, holidaying in outer Mongolia where there's no extradition, but <laughs> and they're not involved in this, right? You know, little bidwhacker, I hope that's not you out there. For God's sakes, I hope you didn't do this. Shit. But, um, you know, if you can hear me, you know who you are. But um, I'm telling AJ's you. on to you. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what could you even do about it? Like, what could anybody even do about that if that is true? Uh, nothing. The thing is, I have never seen the SEC halt a company for fraud that is a NASDAQ deal, right? Uh, mm. One of these days they will, and it's going to hurt people because they halt OTC companies all the time and they, they halt them for 21 days and you have to reapply, you know, to get listed and stuff like that. And these NASDAQ deals, they don't seem to halt them for any kind of fraud. So I don't know if they're even looking Um I mean, let's for, let's not forget this is the SEC that let Uncle Bernie get away with mm-hmm. a Ponzi scheme for decades. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm not sure if they're even looking at this or even care. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the thing is, um, what I'm scared about and what we teach people in our room how to trade, we try, we try and keep them away from this kind of thing because these kind of stocks are like, you know, you're walking down the street, you got $1,000 in your pocket, in your hand, everybody can see it. Are you going to walk down that dark alley where there's like drug dealers going to knife yeah. you? Or are you going to walk down Fifth Avenue where it's nice and clean? Yeah. You know, um, yeah, for like, sure. You know, because what I'd hate to see is this thing get halted and then people are screwed. Because when it opens in 21 days, it'll open yeah, on gray sheets, right? And, at a very low price. <laughs> well, and then it's run by a guy like me. Yeah, I'm $2 bid, $10 offered. What do you want to do? You know, <laughs> you know? It's just heartbreaking. One of the questions that was asked me, you know, suggested I ask you, and it ties into what you're speaking about, maybe the answer, you've already given me the answer, but how is it possible for 121% of GameStop's float to be short is the company lending shares? Yeah, what what they've done is somebody has a a stock, has has a financing against this thing, and they've pre-shorted it. Uh, Pre-short. Yeah, it's it, it's pre-shorting and people, I would say people, you know, uh, and what the thing is, usually if the company and if the company tells the financer to go pound sand, like get away from us, right? That guy is short, but nine times out of 10, they can bully the stock down, right? Mm-hmm. And, and beat the thing up enough that they can cover their position, right? But sometimes they pick the wrong banana to peel. And in this instance, the street took the stock and the buying that came in, just there was just no way they could control it or hold it down. It's like trying to, you know, close a suitcase that's overstuffed, right? It's just not going to happen. 
can I can I just ask you about OTCs? Because I was quite I was quite surprised when OTCs came to life in the last year or so. Like OTCs were they were big like ten years ago or eight years ago, whatever. Yeah. Then yeah. they went quiet. Like, what's with this resurgence? Is this people like you putting liquidity into them or because the trade's yeah. smooth? They don't trace like the trade's smooth in and out. There's not chop. Do you know what's happened? Is that larger players? The reason why OTC the business stopped ten years ago is because the people who did the deals were not able to clear the stock and get it into the DTC system, right? So what the regulators did 10 years ago, they said, look, like the guys that I unleashed on the OTC market that I created, um, they realized, look, these guys are stealing like a billion dollars a month, okay? So we got to shut this down. So guess what? If you have a stock certificate from an OTC company, no brokerage firm in America will touch it, Right. So what happened was now is in this day and age, because there's so much money out there, you have sophisticated players like hedge funds who have what we call prime bank accounts, prime brokerage accounts that will clear that stock. And that's why you're seeing better price action in OTC markets and probably higher dollar volume because you have sophisticated players in there. If you want to take a look, there's an article about a year ago, there's a bank called BNP Paribas and they laundered about $1.2 billion worth of worthless OTC stock through their prime banking for funds and allowed people to deposit crappy stock and sell it into the United States system. But it was, it was funds because if you're giving uh, a, your prime broker 10 million in commission every year, they'll clear whatever the hell you tell them to clear. Jeez. Uh, no, it's, right? it's... A prime brokerage bank account is like, um, you know, it, it's like the VIP room at a strip club. You get mm-hmm. so many perks, right? You yeah. know, you had Turney on there, right? Turney yeah, was the best. You know, yeah. Turney will tell you everything because he was on the buy side. They wined and dined him and took them on private jets here and just spent god awful amounts of money, like, you know, money that would make, you know, uh, Khashoggi blush. You know, they would spend on these guys. And so it's just um, the business. I mean, this business is is something. The dollar amounts that are going through now are scary as hell, and um, it, it it's just uh, it, it's a it's a question of I really think people should really really you know it's okay that like we had the we had the Reddit guy on our podcast, and he said you know what yeah. these guys five hundred dollars I buy five hundred dollars worth of stock I'm willing to lose it. It's like a YOLO, yeah, yeah. Uh, lottery something or the other deal. Yeah. And um, I didn't know what YOLO was. I typed it in as a stock you, symbol, right? Y-O-L-O. You give me four letters and I think immediately, I'm a trader, right? It's Y-O-L-O. That's cute. That's But just a couple of things. So like people are saying like, what? how is Wall Street going to strike back? But from what you're saying, it sounds like kind of maybe Wall Street are in on this. And the I don't think Wall Street are in on this. Those hedge funds blow up, right? But but I mean, are the hedge funds going to strike back then, or is there a way they can well, strike back? No, no, no. Look, they just they just lost. They just lost a round in a fight. That's all. Yeah, yeah. And look, Cohen went and raised a billion, uh, one and a half billion, right? Yeah. See, and this is yeah. the other thing you guys need to know. When Wall Street hedge funds blow up, you know what they do? Let's get more money. <laughs> get funded. No. Create a new, create a new hedge fund. If you're, a, hedge if you're fund. a hedge fund guy and you blow up, you take a year off. And you take your wife and you go to the south of France, <laughs> right? And you come back. And you hang out on some beautiful yacht 
right? And you eat nice meals and drink beautiful wine, right? And you chill. You come back and your prime or another prime broker will raise you $900, $800 million. Mm -hmm. And you're off to the races again. It's OPM. It's other people's money, right? And when you trade other people's money, these people, you know, it's a job for them. They're, they get their two and 20, right? They don't have an emotional attachment. Yeah. You know, I was really thinking that, like, what's your opinion on, like, the hedge funds trading versus, like, hedge funds easier because you can kind of work with each other, but you're not trading your own money. Like, it's it's tough trading your own money. And if you don't have a lot, it it's, even, it's even hotter when you don't have a lot because you're like, if I blow this up, I might have to get a job next week. Well, here's the thing, right? I tell people the difference between retail trading and institutional trading is in retail, you can't cheat, (laughs) right? Which makes it infinitely harder, right? How do you think I could roll in on the trade desk after being out till five in the morning, half cut, right? Still wearing the clothes from the other night and make a hundred grand that day. Because you can just call in a favor and say, like, I'm really hungover. Can you just do this? And then I'll do this. Yeah, and then I'm yeah, money yeah. exactly. Right. I was like, how are you guys doing it? Money, right. When I hear the drug stories. I'm like, how are you guys taking drugs and drinking? Well, I wasn't a drug guy because I had doctors in my family and they said, if you do cocaine, your heart's going to explode and you will yeah. die. And they told okay. me that when I was five. So I was always wow. scared of coke. <laughs> right? But the drinking yeah. and, you know, all that hard living. Uh, yeah, you know, we would just roll in, you know, and, you know, it'd be like in Vancouver, you started at like 530 in the morning, right? So you basically were out till three in the morning. And sometimes if you were lucky, you got home, took a shower, and you're at the trade desk throwing up in a garbage can, um, you know, but, you know, we... It doesn't you know, last we, that long, Steve. I mean, no, it doesn't, it doesn't they, last you that burn, long. You burn I mean, yourself out. And, and that's Tony's yeah. story. Like he, he had a good run, but then it... It just, he couldn't escape it. You know, and he had and the to other walk thing, out. Yeah. And the other thing is, Turney, you know, this is how he made money. Ring, uh, Jeffries is, uh, is uh, upgrading Amazon Click. So you buy 100,000 shares and it runs five bucks. That's, that's, the, 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 I mean, I, I mean, all deference to get the, my boys and girls on the other side of the street, but that really doesn't take much skill. No. Oh. Right. Somebody tells you, you know, the thing's going to run. That's, that's just front running. Right. It's like me when I was at the firm, you get a, you know, you get a phone call on your cell phone, of course. And, oh, yeah, Yorkton's got a sellout on ABCD. So you go there, you know, two million shares are going to hit the market because the client didn't pay for the stock. So you go sell 20,000 shares short but, and their but, sell order knocks it down. But could it, can it be as simple as uh, your friends with Amazon or whoever and they say, I'll make a deal. You tell me when you're releasing a product announcement or a press release so I can buy your stock before it. And in return, I'll short the hell out of your competitor with me friends and drive their price down. Oh, stuff like that, I'm sure has happened. The, the things I have seen these people do, when you have that, those large amounts of money on the table, um, dear God, some of the stuff I've seen, it's just like, I've seen, I've seen brothers take each other down for $10 million, like family. Wow. Right. Um, yeah, there was one promoter, and he stuck his brother with like six million dollars with a bad debit. His brother was a broker. He bought six million dollars worth of stock in in his account and didn't pay. Right, like 
but I, I mean, all right I, here's here's another question yeah. what what happened this past week with liquidity on certain securities do you think there were other hedge funds jumping in with the wall street bets crowd oh definitely definitely there was blood in the water right uh we are not nice people uh you know we'll drink with you but if you're in trouble you know, uh, we'll go, you know, we'll go for the jugular the next morning. So as soon as somebody knew that, you know, that was like throwing chum in the water, right? Yeah. You get these other hedge funds in there just, uh, you know, like taking, I'll buy 200, I'll buy 200, you know, I'll yeah. take four fifths of that and I'll take two fifths. And they just, you know, they, they will jump in. That's why things like level two and, 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 and order books are useless because, if you ever show your size as a trader, right, we will come and pick your bones clean. No <laughs> trader ever goes, I need to buy a million shares. Here I am. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I got paid if something traded $100 million worth of stock in a day. My job was to come in, take $30 million out of that market and for you to not know that I'd even been there. Right. Um, and that's mm-hmm. what a good trader is on the other side. What, what's the recipe there? Is there a recipe? Because like, I'm sure there's a bunch of stocks where the promoters are trying to get them up. They're trying to get the attention and oh, it just, yeah. it just doesn't come. And then all of a sudden they just yeah. have to dump it on themselves. So like, what's the secret of like it go- oh. getting the liquidity, like, which is your job? Like, how do you do your yeah, job okay. good on a day? Okay. All right. To get liquidity, the best way to build good liquidity is to take your time. Right now. Slow. Uh, slow, right? What you do is if you have a public company, the best thing to do is get a good, get like four people who have good sales training, who have never been stockbrokers or been in the business because they don't have any bad habits. And then you train them, right? To communicate with new shareholders on a daily basis, right? And you build that rapport. And what you do is you get about four or 5,000 retail shareholders to own your stock. And then you spend some money on a promotion, right? And what that will do is because your stock is spread out over a nice big shareholder base and not one person owns a whole bunch, right? Then when the street comes for it, those shareholders will start adding to their positions and then that frenzy will build, right? Now, I have a client who used to do that all the time and he made close to a billion dollars doing it over his career. And he started in the phone room of his brokerage firm. So, but the thing is, the other thing too is don't do pump and dumps. Take two years to build the company. And then at the end of it, you'll have $180, $200 million in your jeans and you have made your shareholders money. And the next time you do a deal, you'll have people lining up to buy it. Because you know what you do? You tell people, look, I'm going to put you in at 20. I'm taking you out at 50, right? Yeah. Right? That's, it. That's, what I, that's what we used to do, right? And you build that and they're there the next time. Right. It might go to two bucks, but look, I want you to make sure you get out at 50, at least what you put into it. And then some, right. Let some ride if you want. And if you're like that with your shareholders and you're like that and you build it, you know, build it, they will come. But I mean, That's pretty easy to do though. It's just because you can say, look, I've got this massive, massive marketing scheme and promotion. Um, I'm you, I want you to buy it first. <laughs> yeah. And then the suckers who take, buy it when yeah. it picks up. They'll be the one who get dumped into. Yeah, that's 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 really how it works, you know. And then that last leg of retail is the one that we do the musical chairs with. And when you engineered a short squeeze, 
<laughs> Just tell us like the mechanics. Okay. Behind a it. short squeeze. When you engineer a short squeeze, now I don't know if you can do this anymore because the last one I did was around 2000, 2001. And unfortunately it took down a couple of clearing firms. That wasn't my fault though. But here's the thing. You restrict the amount of stock in DTC. So what you do is you put some stock into the system. What's DTC? The depository trust system. That's okay. where that's yep. like the, the vault for all of securities in North America, um, in US markets. And then, you know, there's a, a nominee for them that owns all the stock where actually if you have a thousand shares of Amazon, you don't actually own the stock. It's owned by seed and company. Um, nobody in nobody who actually owns stock owns stock. You have a contractual. Is that the payment pay. for order flow? No, that's different. Different. Okay. Clearing, Sorry. Right? Keep going. Sorry. No problem. So seed and company owns all your stock and you have a contractual agreement with your brokerage firm who has a contractual agreement with their clearing firm who has a contractual agreement with DTC and seed and company, right? So I might've missed a couple of links in that chain, but if you own a thousand shares of Microsoft, you don't actually own the stock. It's a very weird concept, right? And one thing I used to always say um, and I've been saying this for decades, if the public ever figure found out what the hell we really do, uh, heads would roll. And Did I you think know that, that's... Stephen, that we don't really own it? Um, I mean, look, I'm a day trader, so I don't even think about it. I don't even think yeah. that there's a company behind it. I just see a fall at a ticker and I don't think they're that. <laughs> exactly, right? So that's I don't, the way I don't care, be... right? I just can't make Speed the money. dating. Speed <laughs> dating. Right. Yeah. Because you know what? Being a yeah. shareholder, sometimes it, it, they'll break your heart, these companies. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's um, because their thing is to get you to buy it and hold it. And they'll tell you anything that, you know, will make you do so. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that is that's that's how the clearing system works. So what we what we used to do is we deposit some stock into the brokerage firms and then what we do. And you'd have an investor deposit some stock at a regular brokerage firm. And then you'd trade the stock using what we call delivery versus payment accounts in the old days. So, and that's a, an account where I buy a thousand shares of stock and I have the cash and that cash has to be delivered versus the delivery of those shares. Now, if those yeah. shares don't get delivered, you can call, you can kibosh the transaction or you used to be able to hold it up and cause a problem and get a buy-in, right? Yeah. So we would use things, little tricks like that of the clearing system. And that's just knowing the plumbing. Now, I'm sure I'm sure the regulators have changed everything. So, you know, everything's on the up and up. But, um, you know, since I've my days, but we used to do things like that. And that's why I once had a a company where I had four million in the float and a five million short position against it. (laughs) And and what I and the reason we did that, because the short position is like a kickstand on a bicycle, right? It holds the price up while you wait for retail buyers to come. See, because I had to hold the stock at $30 for three months so they could get a financing from $100 million, right? In some sort of credit line or something. But the floor was 30. If the stock broke 30, they wouldn't get the money from these people. So they're like, how are we going to do this? So the next thing you know, I'm being flown to New York on a plane, right? And I'm sitting in front of somebody very, very scary, um, you know, who used to sell Exocet missiles and, and you know, uh, French fighter planes. And, um, you know, and it was his public company. And, 
you know, I told them what to do and they did it. And, um, you know, it, and it worked, you know, I held that stock at 93 RSI to 97 RSI for three months. But, wow. but you were saying that was short though, but how would you, how would you hold it if it was short? You must've been supporting the bid, no? Yeah, you support the bid, but you don't need any money to support the bid, right? See, if you take all the supply out of a market, so no one can short it. Yeah, you need you just need to breathe on it, and the price will go up. Once I saved Bank of America a thirty million dollar margin call by spending seventeen hundred dollars. I took the stock from five to eight dollars in an afternoon using two cell phones off a subway platform in New York, because I had all the supply locked away in my client's desk. But. But if something, what if Wall Street bets found out that you had all that big short position? Couldn't they just blow you out of the water? Oh, if you know what, these kids, if you piss them off, God knows what they'll do. No, but right? see, you, see, you're short the entire float because you need to yeah. hold the suck at $30. So you take mm-hmm. all the liquidity out of the market. What happens yeah. if Reddit find out and they buy everything? Won't you just go bankrupt? No, 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 because I've got the stock. I've got the supply. I'll just deliver. If they yeah, if they ripped the stock, I you know what if if I had the stock at thirty, and they for example thought that the company was being taken advantage of, and took the stock up to two hundred dollars, and I had twenty million shares, I would dump it into the market and I would buy them all, you know, dinner at Roots Chris. Ah, so you would just like you just dump dump the position or whatever. And yeah, I deliver right because they're yeah. what they're doing is when you take a stock up, you're creating demand. Yeah. And I, to introduce supply, they would be like, I'd be hugging every single one of those kids. Ah, so, so it works either way. Right. It works every way. You know, that's, that was my, that was my dream to have what happened in GameStop happen to one of my deals. <laughs> right. Wow. Do you know what it's like when you're sitting on a stock and you actually run out of stock to sell? It is the most beautiful thing in the world. Right. <laughs> And then the street just takes it, right? It's like building this beautiful boat and watching it sail off into the sunset. How many and you've got thirty million dollars. How, how many? How many times do you get the dream situation where a stock just catches fire and it trades millions and millions, and you're just shaking your hands, thinking, "I've done a good job." Yeah, I had it once in in one uh, one situation for one of my clients. And I was really happy because it was his comeback deal. He had come back from bankruptcy home and he was almost homeless. And, uh, you know, and he put this deal together and we ripped it from three and at $12, he was out of stock. Yeah. Right. He had sold every single share and the thing ran to 20 and it actually bounced around between 20 and 30 for a while. So the people who bought it afterwards even had a clear shot of making some money, but um, you know, that was nice. Um, do you guys ever remember a company called True Religion Jeans? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, talk about that was like, my deal. This was, another, was. this was another bouncer that yeah. worked in another bar um, in Vancouver who took this thing public along with a Swiss banker. And that thing traded and it got NASDAQ and they created so much liquidity. And they both made like hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, Um just amazing amounts of money on that deal Jeez. can, can i ask because you have your own room right um <laughs> can i can i ask what bit you knowing all what you know what advice do you give to the new members that come in on how to trade <laughs> good question great advice is take it slow learn the business 
the, there is a business that is creating the chart. The chart is the reflection of business transactions that are taking place, just like a sales chart, right? If we're, you know, at a sales and marketing meeting, we're looking at a sales chart, it's reflecting the business that's going on. If you learn a little about, a bit about the business, then certain things like choppy markets, FOMO, all of that stuff kind of disappears because you're like, oh, they're doing this right now. I'll have a coffee and wait until they're done. Okay, they're ready to go. We're ready to trade. Uh, you'll avoid that gap and trap in the morning because you know that what we're doing is we're cashing up our box uh, by gapping something, selling into it, taking your money on the downside, and then taking it back up. Uh, yeah. Can I, can I just ask as well? It's such a good question that you've reminded us me of. Like as a short seller, you guys don't dump in the afternoons, do you? You dump in the morning into the liquidity. Can I, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Well, well, not as a short seller, but selling from a long position. Yeah. You, so, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. 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 Because, because you know, yeah, exactly. Because like as, as a short, I'm like, I'll see panics in the afternoon. Like I saw one on ZOM. You saw the Carol Baskin thing. That's the biggest pump of all pumps. I couldn't believe it. Oh, really? Uh, ZOM. But that panicked yeah. in the afternoon, shorted, 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 and then they ripped it back up. And then it dumped in the morning. Yeah, that's an inventory correction. The afternoons, we correct inventory. It allows market makers to correct their inventory. What does that mean? Okay. Inventory is the most important thing in trading. Every market maker has an inventory for every different stock. And they have different order routes that come from different brokerage firms. So it's like their order book. There's so like E-Trade, I've got 100,000 buy orders and 10,000 sell orders. How do I match these up against what I've got in my inventory? It's like a storeroom for stock. Okay. Right. So when markets go up and they usually trend, like when they gap and then they come back down and then they'll trend, right? And then they'll correct, they'll, they'll dump, you guys say it dumps in the afternoon, right? That allows... So- yeah, that allows what, what that is, is the market maker will sell short all the way up to retail, right? After the dump in the morning, yeah. right? Right, we'll, we'll let, the, we call it feeding the ducks and leading them. So we're bringing the retail up and we're letting the market maker sell short to them. Then what he does is he pulls his bids and drops the market and they'll, panic and dump out and that allows him to cover his short position right because he's shorting to retail as a function of his business model right now if the people who are running the deal are smart they'll fill him a little bit and then let him get short again and take the market back up right if they're greedy they'll sell into that dump and then that's when the price completely collapses and then it doesn't bounce right but that bounce too is, is another nice thing because that bounce does two things. One thing is it takes out some of the overhanging supply, right? Yeah. Cause it flushes people out. The other thing too, is people follow the price down short. I, I did it. I do it. Right. Right. And that is a beautiful tool. <laughs> That's like, like, cause what it does is it cleans out the inventory and then it also creates another very handy short position. And we use that short position as leverage to push the market up so we can sell more. But I, right? but I don't get it because so, you're, but, but you, you, are you, you're trying to keep the price down. It wouldn't make sense because you're saying you, no, you're no, sort, no, 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 no. Someone no, short, short and shorten and then covering in the afternoon yeah, to get out. Yeah. And that afternoon cover where people follow price down. Right. And they get, and it, it's always, and it's happened to me as a retail trader. So I like, I'm not making fun of everybody because it, it's, 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 it's hard to see unless you're doing it on the other side, 
what you're doing is you're dropping the market to flush out all the longs. You buy back all their paper. The market maker gets to fill his short. Then the other thing is people now are short at the bottom of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. To squeeze now it what you've done is you've created three sets of buyers, right? The market maker covers his short, right? He's yeah. the wholesale. The, um, the uh, short sellers now have to buy because they've sold, right? Yeah. And now you'll get momentum longs coming in. So you have three sets of buyers and no supply. Uh, so, so the market makers only going short just to dump it at the end of the day, just to pull off that move or why is he short during that, the day just to pull off the because, move? Because no, 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 The market makers have to short to you as a function of their business. See, everybody really doesn't understand. I've, I'm so surprised. Nobody knows what a market maker does. Right. How's the time? They think, they think that they short, Right indiscriminately or because they're trying to beat up a company or whatever these games they don't they don't the only time that a market maker shorts is when they run out of supply and you're buying see a market maker provides liquidity if you if there was a stock that was five dollars by five and a quarter and there was no market maker and you went to buy a thousand shares at five and a quarter you might get a hundred at five and a quarter a hundred at five thirty a hundred at five forty somebody Somebody has to sell you that whole block at five and a quarter and they will short it to you, right? That's called shorting to retail, which is a job function of a market maker. That puts them at risk and allows them to make money by buying it back on the bid. That is the business model of the U.S. capital market. They pay for the order flow from the brokerage firms. It's like a tailor buying material from a a mill to make suits, right? but they make money because they're they so they're making money by creating order flow. But then they also make money when the no no the they price. don't they don't create the order flow. You guys create the order flow. But they sell right? they, they sell to us though, right? They sell to you as a function of filling the order. Yeah. Right. Think of them as handing you the donut. Right. That's all they do. Right. The donut gets made by guys like me who take the company public. Yeah. Right now, once when the market goes up really quickly, they they don't have any supply and inventory, so they have to short it to you, right? That's see, and here's the thing, right? The market maker has to buy and sell from you because they have a contract with your brokerage firm. They pay for that order flow, right? But it doesn't say where they have to buy and sell from you, right? And it's a business. In the old days, they used to call them floor locals. They would provide liquidity, right? So that's what providing liquidity is. Otherwise, if you didn't have market makers, stocks would be five bid, $10 offered. You could maybe buy 100 shares at 10 and the next offer would be 15, right? So what they're doing is they're bringing in all of this order flow and matching it. And that's where algos come in because in the old days, a market maker would make a list of 30 to 300 stocks and they had to have this all in their head. Now you have algos uh, the, the business model hasn't changed, but the algos make it easy because they execute um, and they keep track of your inventory. They execute. They know where all the orders are coming from. Now you have artificial intelligence and all this cool, you know, uh, sorcery that makes the market maker's job so much easier. Is that where the payment for order flow that I was asking yes. you about comes into yeah. play? So can yeah. you just talk a little bit about that? I've heard it. One of my clients actually spoke to it yesterday 
And then I heard it even with Howard Blinson did a conversation about that. And the, the heart of it that blew me away was that payment for order flow was created by Bernie Madoff. Uncle Bernie. Uncle what Bernie. the hell, man? How you is know it what? that we still have him imprinted all over our you fucking what? finance world? That man, I met that man when I first started trading. The very first security traders convention I went to, Bernie Madoff was there. And uh, he was like, you know, he was like the king there and I was the rookie. Mm -hmm. And um, it's funny because my buddy who ended up being a head trader at Raymond James, he, (laughs) we were both, we were both there. And, you know, this guy's supposed to be the respected guy, right? In the, and I think it was, I think Burke Murphy from Sharp was there and a couple of the other guys. And my buddy who was like, just, he was just a knucklehead. He just turned around and he goes, so where are all the trader groupies? And I'm like, oh my God, you know, and see, we thought Bernie was this, this like, you know, um, respectable dude because, you know, he had uh, Madoff Securities, MADF was their thing. He was not a very nice man. I mean, he just mm. basically shook my hand and kind of, you know, piss off kid kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> you know, everybody was like, you know, he was the grandfather of the NASDAQ and all of this stuff. And he created this payment for order flow and, um, you know, that payment for order flow uh, that's an entrenched part of the U.S. capital markets business model, and I I don't know um, you know if they'll change that, when they'll change that, how they'll change that. But can um, you just articulate how that is what isn't that Robin Hood's business model? Then is that payment? every brokerage firm is their business model, right? Mm-hmm. Every brokerage firm that you have, unless they have an in-house trade desk to handle your order flow and directly transact. Um, you know, has to go through some market maker. The unfortunate thing is, um, you know, the unfortunate thing is that um, the whole, man, how do I say this? That whole system is, is so, it's, it's, it works to a certain extent and the kids broke it this last week because those brokerage firms don't spend any money on retail client infrastructure. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, it's like clients are a dime and a, do- a dozen. We just turn them and burn them. Right. That's still there. And I, I got to say this out loud, you know, these firms that don't allow people to sell from a long position and lock them up out of their accounts and stuff like that. That's, that's criminal in this day mm-hmm. and age, right? With the technology we have, that's like in the old days, brokers wouldn't answer their phones. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's not that's right. Crazy. Right? You know, to, to hold people hostage in a stock when the stop is dropping and they can't get out. Now I know everybody goes, you know, the old guys are all, you know what, suck it up, buttercup. That's the way of the market. You know, I don't think, I honestly think with all of the technology we have now that we should be a little bit better. Because holding people up, it's okay if you don't let them buy. I understand that because there's no product. Like they halted trading in these things because the market makers just didn't have anything to sell, right? And and that makes sense, but you cannot not let people sell. That's like a mob Sopranos boiler room where no pink tickets are allowed. I thought they were allowed to sell. I thought it was just buying that was cut off. No, some people weren't allowed to sell. Uh, Yeah. Right? I know Sean was prohibited, but... But it's insane. I mean, if you buy something, 
you, you have to be allowed to sell it whenever you want. What was, what is the reason, you know, cause I, I've heard Vlad be out there. I mean, the, the worst communicator I've ever heard. I was shocked. I mean, not only did I watch him on, uh, was it the interview with Sorkin where it was just the worst interview ever. Like the, does that company with all that money not have one PR person to train him? And then he was on clubhouse. Uh, Elon Musk was on clubhouse amazingly. And Elon Musk brings him in and he's actually trying to coach uh, Vlad how to talk properly. And he still really? can't do it. It was, it was shocking. I was shocked. And, and the heart of it is this kid is talking about how, you know, he was sleeping when the call came and how his app is number one on Google. And I'm like, talk about a total disconnect to the customer's needs. Like, you know, what the hell? Right. Exactly. You know, I mean, no remorse, no indication whatsoever of any sort of remorse, but what happened there? Like he's giving two stories, Apparently, you know, he's saying something that doesn't make sense. And I know, you know Portnoy came in and said, like, which is it? Like, was you know, it liquidity? What do you think no, it was? What it was is their infrastructure wasn't able to handle the order flow that came in from people opening accounts and putting in orders. And you know what? Why don't you tell people, instead of making the small print so small that you need an electron microscope to read it, why don't you tell people that they open an account? Don't make it like, oh, this is like all fun and like, you know, um, like a cartoon or something like yeah. that. Tell them, listen, man, you know, this is this is a not a game. And OK, if you're risking 500 bucks and losing it, that's a different thing. But if you're you know, some of these people are are putting in a lot of money and they're mm-hmm. young and they can recover. But still, do we really have to rape everybody still? I mean, come on, you know. Like, like tell people this is, you know, this, there are, you know, sometimes when the markets go crazy, you will get locked out of trading. And that's a time when you shouldn't be trading, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of telling people to trade because you're selling their order flow and then you're locking them up and screwing them, right? And then you don't even have the decency. Like, why don't you just come out and say, hey, look, we fucked up. Exactly. Right. Just own it like a man, you know, like you know, a, a woman, like just like, own it. Like just we be, weren't take prepared. responsibility, take responsibility. It over, yeah. It overwhelmed us. We weren't prepared. And, you know, yep. and, and, you know, it blew up. Right. Totally. At least people would, you know, cause that's what happened. Right. Everybody knows that. Right. Oh, I, I think there are some people that don't know that JJ. And it was confusing in those first few days whether or not what was really going on was something more nefarious. I mean, nefarious, well, everybody was saying there was, you know, citadels behind it and or well, the government was behind it. Okay, so. and, well, here's the other thing too. Speak to that. Cit- Citadel, and and please, Mr. Griffin, don't put a hitman out after me, you know, because I know if you talk bad about Citadel, you end up disappearing, oh, right? But, you know, in my day, there was a market maker handbook and it was thick like a Bible and it had all the names of the market making firms in it. It was called the NASDAQ Red Book before FINRA. Now, if you looked at that book, it'd be like a two page pamphlet. There's Citadel, Susquehanna, Virtue. There is a monopoly in market making. These people have so much money, right? Because they're getting all of the order flow in everything. Plus, he also has a hedge fund, which is investing in things. So there's conflicts of interest all over the place, right? Um, And then you have, 
so you have and then you have like then there's another company though that who shall be named with uncle larry that's managing what nine trillion dollars worth of cash and then you have the order flow in a monopoly you know run by a guy who buys a 200 million dollar penthouse like we buy a pack of gum right so the the you know something is not you know i don't want to be a tinfoil hat guy but you know, we need more participants in this market because last March, when this thing fell apart, Citadel was not absorbing inventory and the price in this S&P futures was jumping around like, you know, uh, like you electrocuted it, right? Because there was no price stability, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they just step back and go, oh, you know what? We're, we're risk off, right? Mm-hmm. And then retail is is just completely jumping in and out, trying to avoid a guillotine by taking every trade. We need more market makers. We need to bring back uh, some sort of form of checks and balances for this because the system has gotten over-monopolized. The other thing is once they installed that stupid PDT rule, they cut all the retail in the market when it was 2005 or whatever. And so the brokerage firms didn't build up their infrastructure and spend the money for smoother order routing and all of that sort of thing. So then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we need retail back in the market because we had to dump all this crap on somebody. So let's give fractional shares, zero commission, right? Let's make it fun to trade, right? Because we need, you know, you need liquidity because you let I me mean, look at Microsoft. It trades what? Uh, or even Apple, right? Today, Apple's traded 62 million shares. Right. That's the 17 billion shares of stock in that thing. Right. Less than one percent of the float trades on a daily basis because it's locked up. Right. So there's no liquidity. So this is what makes me nervous about these markets, because these markets are not functioning in a smooth manner. There's too many monopolies and the, the hedge, not the hedge funds, but the money managers are sitting on massive positions and they're not selling any stock which is creating supply shortages. And that's why, like, you look at the S&P, we have a short in the S&P from two days ago, and they're just having a Dickens filling it because we've got a gap, you know? So there's so many things that that, that just kind of make me nervous, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's like the roaring 20s again. Is that not, Can you, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, is that not, like, because that's what gets me. I'm like, the whole world is experiencing a virus that is, destroyed GDP, destroyed jobs, destroyed the economy. Crazy president. Well, not let's not say crazy, let's say volatile president. Um, and then the stock markets keep on going to all-time highs. And I mean, off borrowed money. Like, how... It's borrowed money and no supply. But I mean, like, I get, right? I get that there's these bursary payments or whatever they're called, and people are putting the payments that they get off the government into the stock market. But I mean, is that really the truth or is that just a story and people upstairs are controlling things? I, I just, I don't see any selling. You know, when the largest market in the world stops to a tick on one of my levels and reverses, it's just freaky, right? It's absolutely freaky. I shouldn't be able to trade to the tick in the S&P 500 or an Apple, or in any of these companies. Now, I know there's algorithmic execution, and market profile is probably the scariest charting thing you'll ever see, because it's so simple, yet it's so accurate. But the thing is, I, I think they need, in the old days, we used to sell stock to for profit-taking. Now they just get loans against stock because there's so much free money, 
right? Um, it, it's a little nerve wracking, you know, I want people to make money, but just, you know, have your head on a swivel out there, folks, right? Would, would you explain the payment for order flow so people sure. understand what, what oh, Robin Hood ultimately yeah. is their business okay. model? Okay. See, in the old days, we used to have commission. Right. And every time you trade on a, on a on a stock, it would be either 12 cents or six cents a share that you would pay in commission. Then they went to a percentage of the dollar amount of the trade. Then they this guy, Chuck Schwab, Charles Schwab came around. Right. And did the, um, you know, a discount brokerage firm with uh, Muriel Siebert, who was one of the, you know, the first ladies of yeah. of, of uh, Wall Street. Right. And, uh, you yep. know, yep. Um, and so what happened was they changed from a commission based model uh, to this asset gathering model. And so the payment for order flow really helped brokerage firms supplant their their revenue because the market makers pay for that order flow so they can trade against it. You know, and uh, that's where they make the big money. I mean, Citadel made six point seven billion dollars last year. But just break that down. Just break that down with the with what the people on Wall Street bets. You know, just just explain how most of those people who are using Robinhood, right? Yeah, there that is that information is is ultimately what they're. That's how they get their information. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and, uh, and and it's okay. Everybody's got to learn, right? It, I have nothing against people starting out in this business and learning. Um, it's just uh, try and 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 try and um, if you're learning, try and learn from a source that's actually done the job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that really helps uh, because you can, um, you know, you'll. It, there's a lot of misinformation out there. You know, there's. There's stuff I saw on Twitter today. I was like, oh, my God, what are these people talking about? You know, um, and there's so much misinformation out there. Uh, it's it's really important that you educate yourself. If you're going to do this full time now, if you're doing this for some fun and kicks, right, that's not a big deal. And you lose 500 bucks and that's the last experience with the market. That's fine, too. Right. Um, you know, I don't want to be one of those preachy old guys. Right. But yeah. if you're doing this, if you're trading now, your audience are traders. Right. Um, your audience are traders and, um, you know, trading is a skill it's developed over time. And if you learn the business that makes the chart move, uh, your life is going to be a lot easier. Um, now there are people who trade just cattle charts based on support and resistance or whatever. And that's great. And if you are disciplined and you use stops, you know, you can be profitable that way too. But if you have a little bit of knowledge about how the system works, uh, it'll really help you from trading at the wrong time, that sort of thing. So here's here's what I saw on Wikipedia regarding payment for order flow. In financial markets, payment for order flow refers to the compensation that a broker receives, not from its client, but from a third party that wants to influence how the broker routes clients' orders for fulfillment. It is a controversial practice that's been called the kickback. 
in general, market makers such as dealers and security exchanges are willing to pay brokers for the right to fulfill small retail orders, since these can be matched more easily than large orders. The payment can be in the form of direct cash incentive, non-monetary service, or reciprocal arrangement between the broker mm-hmm. dealers. So tell us how that is still in operation today for the, the day traders where you know our audience is. Uh, well, uh, your order, if you trade, say, at E-Trade, gets routed to Citadel, and if Citadel has the stock, they sell it to you. If they don't have the stock, they short it to you. Um, and if there's a whole bunch of you selling it at the same time, Citadel is going to drop their bids and try and buy it as cheap as they can. Once they buy it as cheap as they can and take it into their inventory, they're going to take the market up and resell it to new new people. Yeah, That's absolutely. And they pay for that privilege, right? Yeah, um, that makes sense. That, that, and that's all that's going on. So, um, so, so they pay for the liquidity from the from yeah. whoever. They match it by by if if they can't sell it, they'll just short it. Yeah. But I do, I just don't get I don't understand the advantage that Citadel would get for shorting something that they didn't have, just for the sake of filling the demand. Well, that's because that's the bits that's the business model. But could right. they not that, just that's say that's how you make money? Right, but because, I know they can short it and drop the price and make money from it that way, but... No, no, no. But I mean, the thing is, also, you have to realize that there's two kinds of supply and there's two kinds of buying in these markets. There's inside supply and outside supply, right? And yeah. nine times out of 10 in these markets, we have inside supply. So it's inventory going back and forth. It's a very profitable game, right? In the ES, for example, if you're buying a thousand contracts at 38.35 and selling them two ticks up, you know, that's a hundred dollars on a thousand, right? Yeah. So, you know, and you do that in, you know, you do that 300 times in 20 minutes, it's profitable, right? You're always buying and selling, always buying and selling, right? Back and forth. It's like a car lot. It's the world's fanciest car lot, used car lot. You know, we sell it to you up top. Then, you know, when you're desperate, especially at the end of the day, when, when markets dump, because we know day traders have to get out of their position. Yeah. Right. So that day trade margin is coming due. We know that that's, that's gotta, you know, that's gotta get out. So, you know, we'll, we'll drop our bids and, and take you out at the low. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Pretty right, mind blowing. So I think I have a few questions here that were up on YouTube. So we'll probably wrap up with yeah. these JJ, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure, so sure. one of the things here, somebody asks, ask about toxic financing. How do they time the filings and unload the paper? Oh, how do they time it? How do they time the uh, filings and unload the paper? Geez. Uh, that one is kind of tough. It all depends on the circumstance. Okay. Okay. The other question is how can you know when the float is all bought so that the market maker restricts demand? Uh, you look, just take a look at the SEC filings. Uh, can you see it there? Can you? Cause I mean, I see it cause it skips up on air. Stop, the stocks yeah. for the big float skips up. <laughs> yeah. It's um, in that, in that instance, don't try and do too much float analysis and really change, trade the price action. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just trade price. All right. Sometimes information overload uh, much, yeah. will, yeah. All right. What is a market maker's favorite time to exit their position? Uh, they're always exiting. They're always buying and always selling. 
Okay. But who's the dump though? The dump is whoever's whoever the promoters are who pushed it up. The, the promoters are dumping in the mornings. Is that is that right? Who's dumping the yes. liquidity in the mornings? Yeah. yeah. All right. Is there as much manipulation on day two, day three runners, or is it just day one gappers? There's always the business model. There's always business going on. People call that manipulation, but we're always buying and selling and making markets. And so that's continuous. There's never a day that that just stops. Okay. What what percentage of daily volume would you estimate is market maker manipulation? What percentage is real retail investors, traders buying, selling stock? Well, uh, market makers take the other side of our trades. So, um, that I, I actually I don't know the answer to that. Right? Okay. You know where the confusion think, is though? Just sorry to interrupt, but people think, and I thought it as well, I thought when I bought, I sold to another person. I, that's just what I assumed. And the transaction is just between you and someone else, whether it's a hedge fund or a person, that's just what I thought. But what you're saying is you're buying and selling from a market maker and they're just managing it all. Yes, yes. They're that managing makes, the order flow. That makes right? sense. There is a source, especially in a public company. There is a source of that order flow, right? Uh, and it goes to the market maker, and the market maker is just, like I say, handing you the donut. They don't make it. Yeah. You know, right? They don't make the donut. We just hand it to you, right, on that. And then, you know, and then we buy back the donut when you're tired of it. All right. Is there a hierarchy of factors to account for when trading volatile hot sex sector stocks what is the most important and what is least important when selecting an entry could you repeat that i'm sorry is there a hierarchy of factors to account for when trading volatile hot sector stocks and this follow-up question was what is most important and least important when selecting an entry for me selecting entry is all about structure the market leaves a structure and I, I don't use candle charts. I use these TPO charts to tell structure. So I can tell the market's telling me when traders are trapped long and short, and then I'll take the trade counter to that. Okay. Um, one question. I don't think I asked this earlier. How is it possible for 121% of GameStop's float to be short? Uh, the pre-shorts. The pre-shorts. Gotcha. That's the pre-shorting. Good. And then, and you know, one person had put in since markets have changed from the '90s, and we have algos now. Uh, how how is your experience to today's market still relevant? The uh, business model hasn't changed. Technology just helps. Hmm. Just one question from me: How do you? Someone wrote, um, "How does how do you spot when the good criminals are in the stock and good criminals with inverted commas?" <laughs> <laughs> because the chart looks nice and it's well developed. And they take their time and they build it. They take the stock up and down. That's uh, so true. Those VWAP holds, those VWAP holds in the afternoon. Yeah. Stuff like that. Perfect consolidation. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So where can people find you, JJ, if they have questions? Well, I'm VWAP Trader One on Twitter, and our site is microefutures.com. That's where I, I uh, where I teach every day. And, and uh and right now you're really working with retail day traders, aren't you? And mentoring that's, them. That's all we're doing is, uh, you know, working with that day trading community, uh, trying to keep them alive. So they, um, you know, they have a shot, you know, yeah. if we can keep you alive long enough to start being 
a little bit profitable. Um, that's the that's the tough thing because you know a lot of people with small accounts, um, you know, you got to focus on the learning before the making the money. It's just like mm. surgery, you know. Um, yeah. If you want to do brain surgery and you haven't taken basic anatomy, you're going to be cutting at the ankles. Um, you know. Um, and um, how do you apply to be the next people who do the billionaire thing with the OTCs? Mm. Oh God. <laughs> when, when, when's the next? When's the next class? Oh man, I'm retired. I'm retired. I'm not. I'm not creating any more monsters. That's it. That's, I, it's think Steve, I think Steven wants to be a monster. He wants to sign up for that class. I get. Uh, I get into this room, and you know, I start teaching trading, and they're like, "Tell us about this." You know, tell us about how you did this. So tell you, I'm like, "No, no, no, no." Like, tell us how you do a deal. How you know? It's like, oh god, it's like I'm. You know, no, you guys. <laughs> like a secret, secret recipe you don't want to uh, share anymore. Well, no, it's just, you know, it, it's just such a weird thing. It doesn't really help people's trading. I just tell stories to keep people. What I do is I make jokes and I tell stories in the room when the market's choppy and that keeps people from taking trades. So <laughs> That'll do it. Put the fear of God into them and that'll keep them uh, keeping their hands no, still. No, staring them doesn't work. If you make them laugh, they won't execute. So that's good. Good yeah. point. Good point. There's probably a slew more of questions we needed to ask today, but I, I'm – Still trying to unpack a lot of what you said. How about you, Stephen? Yeah, no, better understanding. I'm going to watch just, I'm probably going to listen to this back and watch a couple of videos, but I think we're nearly there. And I, yeah. hopefully the audience <laughs> is too. We're educating yeah. episode. You know, I, and I got a new nickname for Stephen. I call him Home Alone because the first time, <laughs> some of the stuff I said, his face was just like, I'm like, oh, was you like, know. Like, the yeah, exactly. Home Alone. It's like, oh my God, what have I done to this poor guy? Well, no, you you know, you, I think Stephen knew it, but I think that expression of shock was like, it could could it like it, it was almost shocking to hear that yes, you were right all along, you know that that business there was model, yeah. there no, was stuff on that other but side. The business model hasn't changed, right? It's yeah, no, I, I just couldn't understand how it could be legally done. But then when you kind of explain it and the processes oh. and how the bigger system works, then it starts making sense. Well, the thing about the U.S. Securities and Exchange Act of 1933 is that if you declare what you're going to do and put it out there and uh, it's legal. So if you say, I've got 100 million shares of stock, here's where I own it, you're going to buy it, I'm going to sell into you, that's perfectly legitimate because you've disclosed it. But but the whole creating a story around a company, but I mean, who's to say the, the story is not true? That's where the gray area lies in that. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, is all right. That's questionable, right? If you have, a, but if you yeah. have a strategy to to create a company on with the sole purpose of just raising money, that's not a like Nikola. But then Nikola did it, and Kalia did it with the the truck that had no no insight. Oh yeah, <laughs> then they yeah. didn't get sued. They got bought by GM. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's. I've seen crazy things. You know, I, I've seen crazy things. Some of these things actually work out. You know. I just, uh, what what's your prediction with regards to, let's just say, not let's just say for Wall Street bets. What's your prediction with the power of the retail investor? Well, I I, I think the retail investor should exercise their power. And one thing I'm going to tell these people: the people who say they're never going to sell, right? Guess what? You're a shareholder now. You have rights, and you hold your CEOs accountable. And make sure they're not spending ten grand on a shower curtain, or spending your shareholder money, um, you know, 
frivolously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what do you say though, to those who are looking at uh, platforms they want to, you know, be on uh, instead of Robin hood for those that have, you know, pulled out of Robin hood, where, where would you point them? Oh boy. I don't really know because I don't trade equities. Um, You know, uh, I, I, because I just trade futures now because it's just more relaxing. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, there's got to be good places uh, to trade right now. I, I haven't had any experience, uh, you know, with them. Um, Uh, Trade, trade zero is pretty good. I mean, we, we, we just had firms. Dan, the CEO. We had, yeah. we had Dan yeah. on here, the CEO. Trade Zero is pretty good for America, and they've got an office in Bahamas. It's pretty good for international as yeah, well. Yeah, just uh, the only thing is I'm careful about offshore because um, the, 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 the regulation on oversight is just, you know, just here's the thing. Any brokerage firm is great, but, you know, take your money out. Don't leave too much money in them because I've seen crazy things happen, right? Uh, you know, don't leave too much in there, leave enough to operate, uh, but always be taking money out of there. JJ, we're probably going to have to have you back on because I'm sure Love both to. Stephen and I are going to have a hundred more questions in another <laughs> couple of weeks. So if that's okay with you, we'll, we'll have you back on. And thank you for, this was a very long session today, but we had a <laughs> lot of questions. I knew Stephen had questions that he had gotten off Twitter and uh, we're both still unpacking it. But I think the biggest blockbuster for me, Stephen, I don't know about you, is that that perhaps what we saw with Robin Hood and Wall Street Bets is not the real story. That yeah, is the same. The same. You, know, that, same. you know, nothing ever is in this business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, the, the way the, the thing about this business is, as old Kramer says, uh, you know, uh, we, we can't do anything remotely rem- resembling the truth. <laughs> right. You have to build your own truth. And that's what these guys do every day. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, please uh, let us have you back on. And uh, to everybody watching, Stephen Johnson and I today, thank you for all your questions on YouTube. We did read through them and uh, hopefully we got most of them addressed today. But if not, you let us know what other questions you have for JJ and we'll have him back on. And just give your Twitter handle one more time, JJ, so people can uh, find you if they want. It's VWAP Trader One. So VWAP Trader One. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much for today. And uh, we're going to say goodbye to everybody. Be careful out there and take good care of each other. All right. Aloha.